And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. It, of course, uh, is hump day. And that means that we're halfway through the week. And um, I don't know about you, but uh, if you happen to be living here in Houston last night, quite the storm that blew through here tornado alert and hail damage i mean it was just crazy last night so it's like sleeping through a rent cycle it, it was really it was very i mean i have not been through a storm like that in, in quite some time yeah. and, and uh, i mean it was it was pretty ferocious uh, anyway that's that kind of blew through here but everything's back to normal dogs are slowly recovering from their hemp induced coma <laughs> So, anyway, uh, lots of stuff to get into on the show this morning. Uh, Bitcoin under a lot of pressure here over the last uh, 24 hours. In particular, Bitcoin down about 10%. As China has now basically restricted the use of cryptocurrencies in China. So, uh, this is kind of one of the first kind kind of calls, I guess, so to speak, of a government really kind of intervening into the use of cryptocurrency. Again, something we've talked about before here on the show is that you know, the, the, the problem with cryptocurrency is, and it's all fine and dandy as a, as a you know, an asset, et cetera, except until it starts to interfere with, you know, the underlying viability of a government-issued currency. And, and, China, and this is one of those things that are going to be more problematic. Uh, IRS, of course, recently started talking about more regulations, more oversight on top of cryptocurrency as well. That kind of started the selling pressure. So just over the last week, uh, cryptocurrency has been under a lot of pressure in general just because of governments now kind of waking up and starting to make some overtures about potentially more regulations, oversight, those type of things. So something worth paying attention to is the run in cryptocurrency over? Probably not. There's still a lot of faith and, and, and belief in it at this point. But again, you have to keep a watch on governments because at the end of the day, there will be, it's like the old Highlander series. At the end of the day, there will be only one and it will be the one issued by the government. So that's just a function of time till we get there. But, you know, for now, you know, certainly under a lot of pressure. But again, this is kind of really kind of a, uh, really more symptomatic of the whole market as well as we've been talking about of last week. You know, despite the fact that we keep trying these attempts at getting a buy signal on our indicator, just can't quite get there. We get this little rally, um, you know, up to a moving average resistance same thing on the nasdaq we rally up to resistance and fail and just have not been able really to get any kind of oomph you know any muster you know into this market can't really find buyers to come in sellers aren't really showing up either the market just kind of really just migrates here sideways this morning markets are going to open down again um you know and we keep having these you know short-term one two-day rallies in the markets and then we sell off again so again it's just been one of these kind of processes here where markets really aren't going anywhere we just kind of this kind of the sideways grind and it's very frustrating because the problem with a market like this is that indicators are oversold and not just you know talking about our money flow indicators i mean if we also start taking it longer term indicators in terms of um you know just overall kind of 
overbought, oversold indications. We're at levels where normally in just a normal market correction that you start getting buyers to come into the markets. And, and again, we're not to, to where levels are where you have a deep oversold condition. That hasn't occurred yet. But we are at levels that normally we have seen, uh, you know, at least some buying come in. And again, when we take a look at, you know, some of these markets, they are getting historically more oversold to where you see during a normal, again, a normal correction, right? I'm not talking about a, a March 2020 type meltdown, but fairly big corrections here where normally you start to see some buying come into markets. We haven't seen that yet. And, and, and during this whole time frame over the last month or so, what we've been talking about this money flow sell signal, I know, getting boring, but <laughs> the whole time we've been talking about this, markets simply just haven't done much. And the problem with that is you can't really short into this market. And that's been one of the problems here recently. You should have not had a good setup for a short position uh, to hedge against downside risk because there hasn't been that opportunity. And you really haven't had a great, you know, great opportunity to be long the markets either. There's just not been a lot of, of gain in either direction. So this is one of those points in time where we simply talk about just sometimes you just got to sit still and wait. And it can be a little bit painful uh, waiting for the markets to declare itself, but we just got to kind of wait here and see what the markets are going to do. And then we can start making some better decisions about how to allocate assets and, and where to place money. And again, you know, when you have, you know, assets that are up one day and down the next, it, it's just too hard to try to manage that exposure uh, in that manner. So sometimes it really is better just to sit still and wait and let the markets tell us what it wants to do. So again, that's just kind of where we are at the moment. Some other things we're gonna talk about this morning, Danny Ratliff joining me, of course, but I wanna talk about Janet Yellen. <laughs> uh, she, is, she has become quite the character. And of course, you know, every time I look at Janet Yellen, I get a hankering for chocolate chip cookies. I don't know why, it's just, she reminds me of the Keebler elf mom. I don't, <laughs> you know, but uh, she's talking about the fact that we need to be more globally competitive. Okay. So how are we going to become more globally competitive, in her opinion? Well, we need to raise taxes and unionize. Um, so we'll talk about kind of the, the, the dichotomy of those two statements. And, you know, yes, she's certainly on board the Biden train at this point in terms of uh, aligning herself with the views of the Biden administration. Of course, you know, Joe Biden, very union-centric. Uh, uh, he loves unions, thinks those are the best thing ever. Uh, but is it what makes America more competitive, right? If we want to be, if we want more jobs in America, if we want to bring manufacturing back, we want to do those things. We have to be competitive. And what does that mean? So we're going to get into that this morning as well. Talk about that. Um, also, you know, kind of looking out here over the course of the next few months as we get into summer. Right. We're going to be talking about kind of peak economic growth. And we're already starting to see some of those kind of numbers come across. You know, we had a very weak jobs report here as of late. And of course, we've seen some slowing down in housing starts yesterday. And really, a lot of this is due to the fact that the stimulus that we did over the last couple of uh, last year or so has now really kind of starting to run its course through the system. Now, is it all gone? Absolutely not. But a lot of that impetus is now been spent into the economy so the question now becomes what happens next right that's always the issue here is that particularly when we start talking about economic growth we're expecting very strong rates of economic growth in the second quarter 
but what happens next? And that's going to be the real question. As we get into third and fourth quarter of this year in particular, um, what is that going to look like as stimulus is removed from the system? People have less spending power. And of course, when you start looking at things like the labor force participation rate, which is now at the lowest level since 1976, that certainly suggests that there's going to be less impetus into economic growth in the economy. So these are things that over the course of the next few weeks, that also has a bearing, of course, on earnings. Earnings expectations are very high, and we are expecting massive earnings growth. We are looking at earnings growth now of 87% in, uh, in 2021 over 2020, and 105% growth over 2020 into 2022. So just a massive expansion of earnings and that has to come from the economy so if those earnings are going to come from economic growth the economic growth has to be substantially stronger than even what current estimates are and the question is is whether estimates are way too high and at this point are investors overpaying for what those valuations are lots of questions we're going to be exploring here over the course of the next couple of months particularly as we start to see this idea of peak economic growth around June, July. So, hey, stick around, though. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit with uh, about Janet Yellen and her view and the, and the idea of making America more competitive through unionization. Don't go away. Listening to the Real Investment Show. Our best candid coffee ever is coming up Saturday, May 22nd, with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff, plus a very special guest appearance by Lance Roberts with his popular mid year investment review. We're going for the best on our next candid coffee. The best types of accounts for saving for health care, retirement, and emergency reserve. And Lance's mid year investment review on candid coffee with Ratliff and Rosso and Robert. Register now at Real Investment Advice. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. This morning, I'm your host, uh, Lance Roberts, of course, Danny Ratliff joining me this morning as well because it is uh, Wacky Wednesday. No, it's uh, Financial Planning Wednesday. Uh, no, it's it's Danny Ratliff Wednesday. That's what it is. <laughs> well, we were just going to talk about what we we're going to be talking about on Saturday with you, but maybe we should not bore everybody to death. So, yeah, I don't know. What are we talking about on Saturday anyway? <laughs> well, we're going to do our can of coffee. It's going to be a mid-year review. Not quite mid-year yet, but markets are having a little bit of volatility. So typically, it's Rich and I talking about financial planning topics, things that are important to you guys. Uh, but we thought it's kind of timely. Let's bring Lance on and talk about markets. Lots of questions uh, pertaining to markets. What's happening? You know, what are expectations here moving into the summer uh, coming out of this, you know, these, uh, this valley we've been in from the pandemic? And so Lance is going to join us. We would love for you guys to send in some questions. So go to realinvestmentadvice.com, send in those questions right now. Um, that way we're prepared, we're ready to go. We always try to keep this candid, but uh, 
being that it's an hour, we want to have make sure Lance has some charts to back up what we're going to throw at him. <laughs> yeah, so I kind of need to know what you want to know, right? Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> exactly. So go sign up, realinvestmentadvice.com. It is 8 a.m. this Saturday, May 22nd. Also, send in your questions ahead of time. That way, we'll be sure to address them. So a couple of things, uh, speaking about that, you know, the, as I was saying a second ago in the kind of the opening, the market's gone nowhere now for over a month. And, you know, we've had our money flow sell signal in place. And that's kind of what we said is that, you know, normally when these things occur and money flows are positive, which they were, you know, markets tend to consolidate and not have big declines, but they don't advance much either. And we just kind of get, tend to go nowhere. And that's been going on now for over a month. Uh, markets are very so markets will be down again this morning. And that's, you know, it's in, and as I was saying, that's a very challenging point to manage money in because you, you can't short the market. You can't, you know, hedge to a great degree because markets are just kind of going nowhere. And that's a very, and, and again, that's kind of frustrating, but this is just kind of where you got to be. Um, and this is one of those points where you just have to kind of wait for the markets to declare themselves in one way or the other and, and to make a move, right? And then you can start making some decisions. But, you know, this is one of those markets, no matter what decision you make, you're probably going to be wrong. <laughs> and and that's, and that's the real challenge. So, you know, but we'll talk about that some more on Saturday as well. Would you consider the markets in some sort of purgatory, just can't kind of break out one way or the yeah. other? Yeah, well, yeah, it is. And it, it feels that way, too. It, it's very it's just frustrating. Right. Because, again, you want you, you you've got positions on the books that you want to work. But, you know, it's not they're not working, but they're also not not working. And so it's hard to make a decision to sell something or to do something you know, in that type of environment. Again, there's a few things that are working. You know, Walmart had a great day yesterday on earnings. Target's going to be up very nicely, about 4% this morning. Uh, they had blowout numbers. Not surprising. Of course, you know, you've had a lot of people with stimulus money. And if you go into a Target, you have to spend at least $800 before you leave. I don't know how that happens. You know, there's there's actually entire joke, you know, meme jokes now on like TikTok and other other social media platforms where the wife says, I'm going out. And the husband says, okay. And she, she he goes, where are you going? And she goes, I'm going to Target. He says, oh, hell no, you're not. <laughs> well, you <laughs> see, it's, it's funny. It used to be that Whole Foods was like whole paycheck, right? Right. And now Target seems to be taking They've over. They've taken where, over. Because yeah. you can't go to a Target and just buy one thing. You cannot go to Target and just buy, you know, dish soap. Yeah, you know you're going to go into you're going to go into Target well, to buy dish soap. Well, you wouldn't go there soap. first of all to buy dish soap. Well, I mean, whatever just, it is, yeah. I mean, just pick a pick an a item, right? Any item you want, and by the time you leave, though, you're going to have two hundred dollars worth of stuff in your cart. So yeah. it's just, you know, that's and that's actually from a, from a financial planning perspective, you know, that's been one of kind of the good things now about all these stores that are going uh, to where you order online and just go pick it up because. For people that have impulse controls, this is a great way because, look, impulse shopping is one of the, the, the biggest kind of money drags on financial budgeting, right? And You're so, right, but we can also make the argument on the other end of it. Look at all the Amazon trucks and the packages that everybody for <laughs> all day long. I'm talking about grocery shopping. No, I know, but, but it's the same sentiment, right? I mean, everything's so easy now. It's like, well, I don't even have to get out of my, my bathrobe here. I can just start clicking. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, that looks good, too. Yep, I'm hungry. I'll go ahead and do this. Yeah, that's, yeah, okay. You know, well, well, you know, you used to make the argument, like, I'd always tell Michelle, I said, hey, don't go to the grocery store hungry, because that's right. when we come back with, like, all kinds of stuff. And look, I'm, I'm the worst at that. If I'm hungry, I'm like, oh, man, that sounds good. Oh, yeah, I'm going to cook that. I'm going to cook that. And, you know, you don't get around to half of it. Right. And so th that's a problem. But I think it could be even worse, you know, yep. online. My wife sent me to the store once. Yeah, never again, huh? Never again. 
Because there's nothing but steak for a week or what? No, no, no. She says, "Hey, would you go to the store and do the grocery shopping?" Mind, I, you know, I'm tired of doing the grocery shopping all the time. I was like, "Yeah, no problem." And I went to the store, came home with like a six hundred dollar grocery tab. Never had to go to the store again. Good for you. You have to think about these things, right? (laughs) Strategy. Strategy. Yes. Oh man. Anyway, uh, speaking of 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 all this, though, I mean, look, we got a lot of stuff to get into today. one thing I want to start with, uh, you know, really is, is Janet Yellen, and, and I mentioned this on the break. She was talking about that, you know, she, of course, look, she's just supporting the president. The president appointed her treasury secretary, so she's got to she's got to follow along with the agenda, right? And that and that's that's fine and dandy, but I mean, we have to think about these things that our government says and try to equate that into the environment that we live in today and go, is that really a good thing or a bad thing for us? And we tend to get swept up in this idea, you know, we just need to pay everybody a higher wage. That sounds great. There's a lot of negative consequences to that that we just don't, you know, think about. And, you know, increasing minimum wage to $15 an hour hurts poor people the most. And there's and we've written an article on it and I don't have to get into it right now, but it's on our website now called, you know, the the $15, $15 an hour minimum wage. Just put it in the search bar. It'll come up. But Janet Yellen is now proposing that we have higher taxes and stronger unions in order to be more globally competitive. Now, think about that for just a moment. This is those are kind of a dichotomy and, you know. Among, uh, among themselves, right? We're going to be more globally competitive, but we're going to do the very things that make us less competitive, right? Increasing cost of labor, et cetera. And bringing back unions. And bringing back unions, which increase the cost of labor. Which right? unions, unions you, are going to argue to, to build things domestically. Right. Do you know, do you, by the way, speaking of unionization, do you happen to know what a lifeguard in California makes on an annual basis? What's that? Between two hundred dollars and $300,000 a year. What? Yeah, lifeguards. I'm in the wrong business. Man, right? No kidding. So, but yeah, but that's because they unionized and they they get state benefits and all these type of things. Now, they're right? still under the poverty line in California. But. Of course, right, yeah. You can't, you can't afford to live in California. But, but here's the point about this. Um, you know, Greg Hayes, who was the chairman uh, or the, the president of Carrier Industries, and this was back when Trump had just taken office, and was talking about bringing back manufacturing to America. And Carrier Industries said, hey, we're going to move our plant from Mexico back to the U.S. And he got all kinds of coverage uh, for doing that, right? He, you know, Trump was patting him on the back, you know, on, on social media. This, this is great, making America great. Well, Jim Cramer actually wound up interviewing Greg Hayes and asked him some important questions. He says, hey, why are you doing this? He says, well, our parent company, United Technologies, now Raytheon Technologies, uh, we have a lot of government contracts, so it's always best to stay in the favor of the government. So we're doing this. We're moving a very small plant from Mexico back to Indiana. We're getting a huge tax break to move that plant to Indiana. They want the plant, so we're going to move it there. That's awesome. And then once we get it there, we're going to automate all the jobs because we can't afford to pay the workers in Indiana what we pay in Mexico to build the product. And to remain competitive on price, we're going to have to automate the work. Why are you going to automate the work? Well, because in Mexico, we pay workers there about $5 an hour. They show up six, seven days a week. They don't ask for time off. They're very dedicated labor force. They work hard. They produce a great product, and we can do it very cost efficiently. Can't do that in Indiana. The worker skill isn't there. The worker uh, ethic isn't there. 
and more importantly, they want too much money to do it. So we've got to automate that work. That's the reality of the situation. So great, we want to unionize, we want to have higher taxes. Those are two costs. To the, those are the two of the very highest cost to any single business. We've talked about this before on the show, right? What's the highest cost any 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 business pays? Taxes and labor, right? Yeah. Raise those two costs. What do they have to do? They're going to find other ways to lower the cost of the product because you're not going to pay five times the price for a product that can be built overseas for much less. Well, look at Bank of America. They just announced they're going to increase their minimum wage to $25 an hour. Now, here's the thing that that most people don't realize. Over the last five years, they've been getting rid of employees, shut down their Mm drive-thrus, automated tellers. I mean, more and more businesses are going towards that. Exactly. Well, and that's that's, you got to be careful with these headlines, right? Like Bank of America, right? $25 an hour. That's great. To your point, they've got, they don't, A, first of all, they didn't have anybody working minimum wage. Nobody was working at Bank of America for $7.75 an hour. Now, granted, they may have tellers making 12 to 13, but they're gone. They're gone now. And so now their minimum wage, their minimum wage that they pay doesn't mean the minimum wage, but the lowest level wage they pay is probably 20, 25 bucks an hour. So it's an easy statement to make. But again, this is. But Walmart did this as well. Walmart uh, raised wages to ten bucks an hour a couple of years ago, and then they laid off a bunch of employees. There's always got to be in a give and a take. If you want to raise wages, it's fine, and there's no problem with that at all. Just understand that it displaces a lot of workers that were at that lower end wage scale to start with. It's not. And again, as always goes to be the case, there is no free lunch in economics. The question is, is what do you give up? And unfortunately, raising minimum wages, increasing cost of labor, increasing taxes, those are the things that actually wind up hurting those at the bottom end of the worker scale the most because those are the first jobs that get automated because they're the easiest jobs to automate. And that's why you see more kiosks, more of these type of things that are happening you know, in the world today. So Yellen, great idea. Let's be more competitive, but let's talk about how to be more competitive. That would be a better conversation to have with Janet Yellen is to exactly how are you going to compete when the world demands lower cost products? I mean, look, product prices have gone up just over the last couple of months because of all this stimulus money. Now everybody's bitching about higher prices. <laughs> the way it goes. <laughs> there you go. Be right back after the break. Load up on guns. Bring your friends. It's fun to Listening to The Real Investment Show. Our best candid coffee ever is coming up Saturday, May 22nd with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Plus, a very special guest appearance by Lance Roberts with his popular mid-year investment review. We're going for the best on our next candid coffee. The best types of accounts for saving for health care, retirement, and emergency reserve. And Lance's mid-year investment review on candid coffee with Ratliff and Rosso and Robert. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Let's go! And welcome back. 
The show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com is the website. Uh, a couple of new articles out this morning on the website. Uh, got several out this week, actually. Go go peruse. Uh, always uh, new stuff on the website just about every day. Realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, be sure and subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, just click the newsletter link and our YouTube channel. We'll keep you updated on all of our mailings as we send those out and of course our uh, new videos that we publish out just about every day including our three minutes on markets and money uh give you an update on that and of course uh, you can also get subscribed for candy coffee this weekend saturday right. morning it's very early 8 a.m <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's always fun yeah i'm sure it is for 8 a.m come on you know that you're gonna be up <laughs> since like four <laughs> probably but it's six right now, and you're complaining about eight. I mean, give me a break. At least you but, won't have to drive in. Yeah, this is true. Very true. This is true. Um, so anyway, Danny, what so, you got? So you know we were talking about the Bitcoin craze and all the cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. and now you can actually go out and buy a Bitcoin pizza. Okay. Okay. So they're going to offer ten thousand of these. They're going to be ten of them across the country, and um, it's to commemorate that they think that the first ever Bitcoin spent were ten thousand Bitcoins for two Papa John's pizzas. Now, I bet that guy regrets it right now. Oh, yeah. Considering what that would be worth. I mean, wow. So they're doing 10. So well, wait, I'm, I'm not getting this. So basically, you can buy a pizza with and get Bitcoin. What, what do you what, do you, what is? Well, the, so, so the what they're offer? doing is they're, they're they're kind of uniting with different neighborhood pizzerias. And they're essentially going to the money raised is going to go to the Human Rights Foundation's Bitcoin Development Fund. So they're going to go help people. Uh, by selling Bitcoin pizzas and partnering with other pizzerias. Gotcha. Um, you know, all about the Bitcoin craze, I suppose. I, I don't quite get it. Understand it's a, you know, it's a money, it's a fundraising type of deal. Right, so, right. So good for them. Um, but so wait, but the, but the money's going to go to the human rights organization. But it doesn't look like a Bitcoin. It doesn't taste like a Bitcoin. And it doesn't. It's just a pizza. <laughs> In a Bitcoin box. Dude, wait, but let me ask you a question. If you order your Bitcoin pizza yesterday and got it delivered today, do you get 10% less out of your pizza? Because that's what's happening with Bitcoin right now. The, the funny thing is, I don't even think you can buy it with Bitcoin. I think you can buy it with cash. So, well, this is kind of the whole a little problem. bit ironic. This is kind of the whole problem with Bitcoin is that, you know, everybody keeps saying, well, you know, it's a replacement for the currency, but you have to convert it back to the U.S. currency before you can spend it. That's right. But, yeah. Yeah, which which many people will or, or they're not doing. Yeah, well, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, so people would be going today because uh, Bitcoin's down another ten percent this morning. They're going to go. Yeah, maybe we'll just cash it in and go buy pizza with it. So well, I think it's the more we hear about the regulation aspect of these things, we're likely going to see more and more of that. You know, there's yeah. been so many things have been propped up. I mean, look at Doggy Coin. You know, even uh, Rick Edelman. You know, he's he's came out and he's pretty big on cryptocurrency. Right. And he said, look, this is this is really uh, bringing all cryptos down in the sense that it's giving people a false sense of security. This was meant as a joke. But we're seeing that across every landscape. I mean, you know, you look around, SPACs. you've got SPACs, you have I mean, look, the new article on Wall Street Journal about Hertz. You know, everybody, even we talked about how buying Hertz, you know, it's going bankrupt. You know, the only way they're going to actually be worth anything is if somebody actually came up and scooped them up. Looks like institutional investors are. And so all of these people who are buying it and, and with, you know, stimulus money or money they did not have are actually being bailed out once again. And so it's, it's creating, again, this false sense of security, I think, where everybody feels like there's always that insurance policy. And we know it's there until it's not. But, I mean, when's the last time, Lance, you saw so much 
you know, in so many different arenas, so many different areas that was propped up the way that it has been here recently. I don't know. It's 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 something we haven't seen since really late 1999. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you, you could say you could even potentially say 98. But, you know, this is really looking a lot more like 1999 ish in terms of. You know, companies going public through SPAC vehicles, record. We haven't. We have the highest level of equity issuance right now um, since 1999. You've got some of the highest levels of margin debt since 1999. You've got. You know, there's a lot of things that are happening in the markets that we haven't seen since 1999. That again, don't freak out. That doesn't mean that we're about to have a dot com crash, but it does suggest though that there is risk to markets. Um, when you have this type of froth and allocations, and uh, that's another good example, right? Um, we now have homeowner, you know, home, uh, individuals now have the highest level of equity exposure ever on record, even higher than 1999. So, again, it doesn't mean the market's going to, you know, completely fall apart tomorrow. You have a big 50% crash. It doesn't mean any of that. But it does suggest that there is a lot more risk in the markets than what a lot of people kind of think right now. So it's just something worth paying attention to. Um, you know, so there you go. Well, and I think that that's, a, that's one of those things to consider right now because you do see so many people just feel like you can't do no wrong. Um, you know, we talk to more and more people who've historically been extremely conservative who are now wanting to be more aggressive. And, you know, human nature, we do things that are, that are sometimes, um, you know, they, they don't have the best... There are unintended consequences, right? Because we always want to get out and we want to jump into things when they're really, really good. And unfortunately, we've already seen a lot of the the uptick in the market. I mean, if we had a, if we this was December thirty first, and we look back at the S and P five hundred, we say, hey, this was a good year. Mm-hmm. And yet now, if this is a time when everybody wants to get in when it's already happened, right? And, and then vice versa, if the market's down, um, I had a conversation with a couple people here recently, and they were just talking about things to buy and where to go, and and so we started talking about some some areas of the market that were potentially down or weaker, but could see some potential for some upside. And they're like, oh, no, no, I don't want to go there. And I was like, why? He's like, I just don't, don't feel like that's a good investment. I'm like, okay, well, let's talk through this. And most of the times, just because, well, it's been down. If we look at the numbers, <laughs> I don't want to go there. And I think we need to go a little bit deeper. Say, okay, well, maybe if it's down, maybe we can buy things on sale. We're so quick to get in. You know, Macy's, uh, you know, Red Apple Day sales used to be huge. Everybody was there because it was on sale. Uh, and then you get an opportunity in the markets, and yet we're like, nah, maybe not so quick. Right. Well, and that's and that's as I was saying, you know, earlier in the show today, that's been one of the kind of the more frustrating things about this market. The market's really gone nowhere. But there's a lot of stocks right now that are down 15, 20, 25, 30%, and now nobody wants them. And it's, you know, that's, you know, kind of that, that, you know, that push of psychology is that everybody's been used to things just going up. Now, all of a sudden things are going down, but they're not even going down that much. But there's been this really rapid rotation in the markets. It's been, we, we call it, a, you know, it's, it's almost a joke now among our, uh, among our office during our portfolio management meetings, which is, oh, is it a Dow day or a NASDAQ day, right? Because one day it's the inflation trade, the next day it's the deflation trade, the next day it's the inflation trade, the next day it's the deflation trade. And this rotation has been so fast through the markets that there's been a lot of, of companies that have had big big corrections and now nobody wants them and they are actually are the ones that are growing earnings the fastest but it's you know this this kind of move and you know we were all chasing small caps several months ago and those haven't done anything since february so again it's just this what's happening in the markets is that after last year and that big rally in the markets last year everybody's expecting that that's now the norm and that's just not the way markets work so 
So, so Lance, what do you think about switching gears here just a little bit? So Fidelity's now opening accounts for teenagers. Okay, 13 to 17 years old. If your parents have an account at Fidelity, they can open an account. There's no trading fees. Um, there should I, be. Ideally, this this could be a good thing. However, mm-hmm. there's there's also some things that I'm not I'm not so sure about. Right. So it's going to allow them to buy stocks, ETFs, and Fidelity mutual funds at no cost. Okay. Um, but terrible idea. They should they look. There should be commissions. Yeah. Commissions slow down your transactions, right? When there's no cost to buying or selling, you trade more frequently because there's no cost to it, right? I can jump in this, I can jump out of that, I can mm-hmm. jump into this, jump out of that. So you overtrade, and it winds up actually leading to poor performance over time. Study after study after study shows this be the case, right? So what you should have is, yes, open an account for teenagers. That's awesome. But you want to incent them to save and invest long-term. Correct. So. You should limit the number of trades. Okay, don't don't charge them for the trades. That's fine, but limit the number of trades they can do to you know five a year, right? Whatever it is, you can enter as many positions as you want, but you can't sell them, right? So teach them to start investing longer term rather than teaching them how to gamble. This is the problem with what we've got with all these apps now, from Robinhood to Webull to others. They're great, but all we're doing is turning an entire generation of of young investors into gamblers, which will have very negative long-term outcomes for them. And what will happen is eventually they're going to lose 30 or 40% of their money. Then they'll say investing sucks. Uh, That doesn't work, so I'm not going to do it anymore. And then they wind up degrading their ability to grow wealth to support their retirement. And we saw that after 1999. We saw it after 2007. You know, people think that everybody just came running back to the markets after 2007. They didn't. They just came back like two years ago. (laughs) That is very true. I mean, think about all the calls we received. Hey, I'm ready to get back in. I know. I've been out of the market since 2009. What should I do now? Uh, Well, you know, you got to start somewhere. But that's that's the point. We We should, especially for kids, put some some definite guardrails around it so that you teach them to actually invest. Maybe even limit the number of things they can buy. Um, you can buy ETFs or mutual funds. Um, maybe even just mutual funds. Yeah. Limit that so they understand, they learn how the market works. Teach them how the market works first. You know, look, let me put it this way. An auto, uh, GM just came out yesterday with a new article. They're now going to provide... High-end sports cars, their Corvette ZR6, they're going to Z06, they're going to provide that to all children between 13 or 17 with no driver's manual. Well, that's the problem. Is what what type of controls do you have? You know, I would love this if they said, okay, you can invest, but you're going to have to put aside X amount for an emergency fund initially. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to be able to trade. Here's how you're going to be able to do it. The one thing they're looking at is that they're trying to create a new generation of investors for them. No, they're trying to tap into the market that Robinhood already tapped well, into. Well, that, but they're looking they, at the wealth transfer of their parents exactly. and those people. Those, yeah. Grandparents, parents. It's, it's going to be, I get it, but there needs to be more control. Be right back after the break. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. 
Our best candid coffee ever is coming up Saturday, May 22nd with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Plus, a very special guest appearance by Lance Roberts with his popular mid-year investment review. We're going for the best on our next candid coffee. The best types of accounts for saving for health care, retirement, and emergency reserve. And Lance's mid-year investment review on Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso and Robert. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So this morning, I'm Real Science Roberts. All right, getting ready to wrap up the show this morning. It's uh, this hump day edition, getting through the week. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a rough open this morning. We'll see how it kind of plays out during the day. You know, like I was saying earlier, um, you know, take a look at our short-term indicators are pretty much oversold on a short-term basis. Um, not surprising after basically a month's worth of consolidation. We've seen a lot of selling by hedge funds. We've seen a lot of, um, you know, uh, money flows out of equities. And it's really kind of been interesting because it's, you know, you say it's, you know, kind of money flows out of equities. It really hasn't been out of equities. It's been just rotating all over the place in equities, right? So you have outflows of tech stocks, but into inflation stocks, and then the next day it, it reverses itself. So, you know, we'll have to kind of wait this out a little bit, but this has been one of the more uh, rapid hyper rotations that we've seen in the markets in quite some time now. Um, having said that, you know, markets oversold. We're probably going to, and we've talked about the fact we'll probably get a rally here um, at some point. And again, haven't got it yet. Um, keep trying to try to make that attempt on almost a you know daily basis, but haven't been quite able to muster one up. You'll eventually get a rally here that'll last you know three, four, five, six, seven, ten days. That may be about it. Um, you know, some of the action that's going on in the market is you know very reminiscent of kind of a market topping process, at least in the short term, tends to lead to a little bit bigger correction in the market. So one thing to watch is what's going on with the repo market. We're about to have the same problem in the repo market that we had in September of 2019. And that was where the Fed had to step in and start supplying the repo market liquidity in order to, this is where you know banks were showing up. We, we had this conversation numerous times back in September of 2019, we had a couple of things that were going on. We said, hey, this is problematic for markets and the economy. Historically, these things lead to a recession. And everybody was like, nah, it's not going to happen. One of those things was the repo market. Banks were showing up and saying, hey, I need to borrow money overnight. And they were going, okay, great. The rate's 8%, 10%, 12%. Just astronomical rates to borrow capital and liquidity overnight. Shouldn't be the case, particularly when they're putting up treasuries. Is that collateral? You got risk-free collateral. We're seeing that same problem starting now in the markets again. So again, doesn't mean that you know you're going to have another big correction next week or next month, but we're certainly starting to get some of those dislocations in the markets that certainly suggest that there's risk over the next several months to be paying attention to. Timing is always an issue, and the catalyst is always the issue, right? The markets, you know, the reason you had a 35% decline in the markets in March was because the, the markets were already set up for a big correction. We had an inverted yield curve. We had everything in place for a recession. We had everything in place for a big market correction. 
that's what happened. And what you always need to cause that to happen is some type of catalytic event. And that was the pandemic and the shutdown, right? So everybody says, well, you know, we shut down the economy and that caused a recession. Yeah, that's always the case. (laughs) There's always something that causes the recession. It's just a question of, of what it is. Generally, it's the Fed making a policy mistake. And if you take a look, for example, at the number of job openings right now, it suggests that the Fed is very late to the market in hiking rates, which means that they'll start hiking rates too far into the recovery cycle, and they'll be the trigger for the next recession when it occurs. And it's likely that we're going to see a recession much sooner than than many people expect because of the fact of what happened in 2020, the forced recovery in the economy because of all the liquidity kind of sets us up for a potential recession much sooner than the next, say, even the two to three years. We may be very well back in a recession as a lot of this stuff starts to, to filter back through the system. We'll see. It's just you know, too far out to call that. But what I'm saying is there's a lot of evidence that there are things in the markets that are still functionally broken, but they're being covered up by liquidity. So with all the monetary and fiscal policy that we've seen over the last year, mm-hmm. what type of arrows do they have left in the quiver? I mean, where do you go from here if you're the Fed or more? You know, more. That's it. It's just more. <laughs> yeah, it's just more until you can't do more. You know, and the, and the problem is, is that every round of fiscal liquidity that we do is and monetary liquidity is requiring more and more of it to get this. Uh, you know, to get less effect out of it. Correct. Right. So, you know, and that's what's called efficacy. And the efficacy of these programs are requiring larger and larger amounts of money to get the same benefit economically that you got the last time. You know, back in, you know, 2009 when we came out of the financial crisis, it took 900 billion to basically get the economy back on its track. Now it's taken 5 trillion to do the same thing. So it's requiring more and more. The question then becomes of course, you know, how much debt and and deficit can you run without economic consequence? And the, the economic consequence is already there. We're continuing to run slower and slower rates of economic growth. Economic prosperity is very lopsided. You know, you talk about the wealth gap. Um, you see the unrest in, in the overall country. And now you see these rising cries for socialism, you know, all across sectors of the markets, even in institutions and, and universities, because they just don't have an answer for how to fix the problem in the economy. Well, I think we know the answer. It's not a good one because it's going to require austerity, which nobody wants right. because it's going to curtail. No business wants wants the government to, to use austerity. Right. Because that's going to make sure that everybody, you, you're not going to see those, those earnings growth like you once saw. Stock buybacks will be <laughs> mean, meaningless at that point. Yeah. And yeah, don't worry. You got that. I had a whole rant yesterday on stock buybacks because we're back at records again. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how last year you were villainized if you were doing stock buybacks and now it's no big deal again? Right. I mean, what, what happened to the legislation to, that they were going to enact to, to curtail that? No, that, that? That died. Yeah, of course. But because, look, at the end of the day, who, who elects your, you know, governor, your governors, your senators, your congressmen? It's corporations. Yeah. I mean, they're the ones who probably provide the money for the coffers. So you're not going to do anything to, to hurt them. Oh, that's so but that's also that's also why they're the first people we bail out every single time. So, mm-hmm. you know. And again, that's what I got off on a rant yesterday. I don't know if you heard it. It's our last segment for the show yesterday. But I have a whole rant on the Darwinistic, you know, principles of the, you know the economy and how yeah. it works. And but that's the problem is that we keep bailing out the same people over and over again and keep expecting a different result. Not going to get it. 
<laughs> well, they they create the same behaviors. They, no, they think, encourage them, uh, right? And I think it's important that we learn how to play the game better, right? And and you know, this is the problem for small business owners, um, which tend to be more conservatively biased because you're running a business, so fiscal responsibility is well, always really important. And you typically but have tend, skin in the game, and you have skin in the game, and we're playing by. And so, you know, the problem is for small business owners, they play by the rules. Right, uh, they don't have the coffers to hire lobbyists and all these, you know, other types. And and so when something happens, small businesses can't run to the government and go give me a bailout. Right, mm-hmm. they can't issue stock to the market. They can't go to the bond market and issue debt. They don't have those capabilities. Major corporations do. They and and this is my point yesterday is that when the economy gets in trouble. They should just go to the markets and issue more stock, go to the bond market, issue debt, raise capital. They don't need bailouts from governments. And I don't know where this idea came along that governments needed to bail out companies. Well, but I think we're we doing are. it all wrong. I mean, you heard about the New Jersey deli, the, your hometown deli. Yeah. Do you know who the backers on that are? There's something very suspicious. Okay, yeah, They're out of Macau and they're out of China, real, right? Yeah, real quick. If you haven't heard about this, there's a deli in New Jersey that has annual sales of $38,000. The company is publicly traded and valued at $100 million. The backers are out of Saudi Arabia and Macau. And the shareholder, and they are the major shareholders of this New Jersey deli uh, with $100 million book value. And they just fired... The, the CEO of the company, he's also the high school wrestling coach. And the principal. And the principal of the school. Now, tell me there is nothing shady as yeah. going on with that business, right? <laughs> yeah, there, there's something going on there. But also genius to go public on their part, right? I mean, yeah. $100 million. So the guy, the, the principal I looked up, they say he's worth $18 million right now. It's according to market, you know, what yeah, the market. Yeah, he can't sell a stock. Yeah, <laughs> who's going to buy it? Exactly. And he just got kicked out. But that sounds like, you know, but what that is, is that that's a shell. So this is exactly what goes on with SPACs, right? This is a this is a restaurant with no sales. They backed into a publicly traded shell that had no business. And then they got public backers in Saudi Arabia and Macau. Can't imagine that that's perfectly clean money by any stretch of the imagination, which has now run the stock price up. So there's, there is something very shady going on with that whole transaction that don't be surprised if that high school wrestling coach doesn't wind up going to jail at some point. Well, there's, there's also ties to other companies that make absolutely no money whatsoever, uh, whatsoever shell companies. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of moving parts here. But it's unfortunate because this guy may have just been dragged into it. Yeah, no, he, I think he's the stooge. Yeah, he's the innocent you know, yeah. bystander like, here. Hey, and they're we, like, hey, we're going to pay you a bunch of money to sit there and just be the CEO and the president, not realizing that he's now, because of sorry, Baines Oxley in particular, he is now on the hook for mm. all of that. And of course, you know, who are they who's the SEC gonna go after? They can't go after investors in Macau or or in, in Saudi Arabia. So, you know, the, here's this poor, you know, slob in, in New Jersey that is oh, on the man. hook for all of this. That's terrible. Question is which crime show is gonna pick up the storyline and you'll see it next year on a show on oh TV. that'll that'll yeah. that'll be uh what is that csi uh, not csi the the new the one they have out of new york uh the crimes unit with ice tea and special all that. unit yeah that yeah. that that yeah. series that they've got like 50 of that same show yeah. in different forms well <laughs> so i'm sure that would be way down. way down the line though there's so many you know elements and things that storylines you could pick up right now yeah. that are sure that we'll look back and think wow this was <laughs> oh, amazing no, to, to no, witness no, no this is going to be there there'll be books written about this right yeah. in the future and we're all look back and go, man that was crazy i lived through it just and, and here's the thing is like you know how danny and i we talk about 1999 and how we lived through that the millennials will be talking about how they lived through this crazy market 
and how they lost so much money, blah, 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 and how all the lessons they learned from it. But this is this is where experience is born, right? And a lot of good investors will be made out of what happens coming next. All right, wrap the show for today. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Mike Leewood's new post is out this morning uh, on the website now. We got a lot of stuff coming out this week as well. Call it the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, and we'll see you tomorrow. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.